0: This is Slashers, your new favorite podcast about your new favorite horror media. My name is Jake, and with me as always are my esteemed colleagues, co-hosts, and cohorts, Adrian and Doug. Gang, say hello to the mutant goons from beyond.
1: Hey, mutant goons, we're about to get our cruising on because we're all party-sized down here today, right?
2: Hey, guys, it's Aid. Happy Pride Month.
0: I'm really surprised that neither of you mentioned hips or lips. Man, when he gets into the lingo and cruising, I was like, good for you, man. Like, you sound like an aficionado.
1: It reminded me of that. There was a South Park episode. Remember when the cop's like, "Oh, all right, buddy, I'm going undercover. And he ends up marrying the guy. <laughs> and then he arrests him later. He's like, gotcha. That's what it reminded me of. Yep. I
0: very much remember that. Hips or lips. As a caveat, we didn't come up with a kitschy little name for this month. We just wanted to celebrate pride, celebrate queer and other creators and characters, and try and emphasize it in a way where it's not solely based on what they are or how they identify, but the substance of their work. And I think that this movie, Cruising, is a very good way of doing that. Reason being, there's a lot going on in the construction of it, in the taboo nature of things. All of these multifactors, and we might be ill-equipped given that none of us identify as... LGBTQAI plus, but we have a tremendous amount of respect and we want to make sure we're doing this with dignity and respect. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you feel that we could address things better in the future, I'm always happy to engage in civil discourse with you. Please feel free to reach out at slashersbot at gmail.com, any of our social media. I would be very remiss if I came across as insensitive because queer rights are something that mean a tremendous amount to me personally. And I think this show as a whole.
1: Very well said disclaimer there. I was, I was trying to read the, between the lines. I'm like, oh, okay, you got me. Jake, you're like a living scroll of a contract. It's crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. The fine print. I put the emphasis on fine because I've been doing sit-ups. Boom.
1: Ah, all right. All right. Well, uh, you ready to get into uh-huh. this party-sized film for the party party?
0: Absolutely. So the film itself is Cruising, which Doug mentioned many moons ago on this very show. And it is from 1980, based on a 1970s novel. Would you like to hear a little bit about that book?
1: Yeah, give us story time. Yeah.
0: So the book is largely different than the movie. Everybody will say it is a quote-unquote loose interpretation, and that's always something that's a little bit frustrating. You know, you see the book and the film suffer from kind of being both within and without. They address subject matter. They don't go far enough in places. They go too far in other places for the lay people or people who might be a little bit more closed minded and restrictive. So the book itself was written by New York Times reporter Gerald Walker, who is not to be confused with a rapper, a musician of the same name. Well, I was like, this guy doesn't look like it. And then I verified that he has a separate Wikipedia. Now, he was an author. The book, is not very well received. You go on like Goodreads and all these things and it's always just kind of like a 2.5 like interesting premise, interesting backdrop, uninteresting story, not very well delivered. But there are some great things that are positive. Like I would love to see a cruising remake with the kind of provocative filmmakers that we could have now who could really substantively address the subject matter without being... You know, I think at this point, people were like, oh, clap for me because I'm addressing this subject matter. It didn't matter like how well they did it. Right.
2: Right. Yeah. Well, a lot of people had a problem with the film because it portrayed gay men as violent and only the certain subculture of the S&M world. So I could see a lot of people watching this and thinking that this is all gay people are and using that. And there are stories where people have attacked others, gay people especially. Oh, yeah because of cruising. So I can see the issue that it had.
0: It was not well received at all at the time. It barely made its money back after promotion and stuff. And people were very outwardly critical. Like if you read Roger Ebert's review, it's very on the nose. It's like, look, I'm not going to applaud you for addressing something half-assed. You don't go far enough. You don't address the subject matter with merit. Again, going to it like, let's look at the players at hand. William Friedkin is already an established brand at this point with The Exorcist. I mean, that is a true, already living legend to a certain extent. And he was kind of reluctant to do this. And what makes it very interesting is he claims they had 50 different cuts of this film that they sent to the MPAA, which cost over 50 grand. I mean, that is psychotic. And he claims there's like 40 minutes of footage on the floor. And his story changes quite significantly from what I've seen. Sometimes it's, oh yeah, it wasn't really a story. It was just more like fisting and stuff. And then sometimes where he's like, oh, well, there's all the subtlety is kind of lost Lost in this, we'll never know because all of the film negatives are gone.
2: Yeah. But there's a lot of uh, interesting things that I've read about freaking with this, which I never would have associated or, or associated with him being this way, but I could see him being very problematic with this, especially with the. I don't know if this is true. So I'm reading things. I don't know if this is true. Did you read that he, to do research, he went to a gay bar with just a jock strap on? Yeah.
0: Yep. Is, is that true? That's I mean, it's very peculiar that there are so many guys in just drop straps, even in a police precinct.
2: Yeah, with
1: the cowboy hair. What yeah. the fuck?
2: I know what was wait a minute. I know we'll probably get into that.
1: It's just a random scene. I think they didn't even know on set either. But the crazy thing, if you listen to like the commentary like on the backstage, is that even the, the gay community was against the making of this film because they were portraying the leather and BDSM as like the gay. They're like, no, that's like a subculture of that. And so they were making noises during shots and stuff. And when they were filming, they couldn't get good audio because people were purposely distracting outside in the protest. So that's why a lot of the audio is dubbed on
0: this here. Yeah. And so the guy who plays the captain, Edel, edelsberg steen so that's one paul servino he has one line which is like oh yeah it's like this is like an extreme fetishist. it's not like your normal gaze that one line does not an excuse make it seems very tacked on right where it's like oh people are upset i just say a fucking thing where not all gay people are into brutal fist fucking mm-hmm. and it's like i think that that's a huge pitfall of this film and also like some of the snm elements are just seem kind of like you read one article right? It's not like mm-hmm. quite representative of that either. I think that the s element suffers and then the just general queer element suffers because now they look exploited and this looks compromised. If they would have taken that further, I think that it even makes it a little bit easier to dissociate because Ted is a great resource to... Di- We're getting ahead. We're getting way ahead. <laughs> Go to the movie, released in 1980. It was made on a budget of eleven million dollars. I think that there should have been much more fist fucking for eleven million dollars.
2: Maybe there was and we'll never know.
0: See, and that's unfortunate.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the budget went to Crisco. You could look in the credits. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. When he's looping up that fist in that scene, I was like, why is it white oh, that's right. I was like, it shouldn't be white coming out. It's okay. But yeah, made in nineteen eighty. Are there any other films in nineteen eighty that you guys are huge fans of that came out? Maybe I don't know. Friday the 13th, The Shining, anything like that. I
2: mean, everything came out that year.
0: Airplane, even.
2: Airplane,
1: yeah. There's very slashery elements in this, too. So, you know, everything kind of still picked up, you know, from Friday the 13th and onwards. So.
2: I mean, The Changeling, The Fog, Maniac, Prom Night.
1: Which Joe Spinell is basically the precursor to Maniac in this. He's still that slain ball he was in Maniac, but he's the cop in this one. So
0: Yeah, that's actually really good.
2: Oh, yeah, I didn't even notice that. That's so funny. Oh, my God. Humanoids from the Deep came out.
0: Which Doug and I have done on this show. Shameless bug for the show that you're listening to.
2: Boom. That's why I mentioned it. Go check it out in the archives, the archives. (laughs) Oh, Cannibal Holocaust.
0: Mad Max was re-released. Mm-hmm. Oh, Cannibal Holocaust. There you go. Cannibal
2: Holocaust, Star Wars, Episode 5.
0: And so, I mean, you know, you got your raging bulls and your stuff like that. You get some fringe stuff, but this is just a clearly complete, like, change of pace for everything when you compare it to its contemporaries. And so I think that's why the film studio probably thinks, hey, we're doing a bang-up job because you're not seeing guys making out and licking each other's nipples in Empire Strikes Back. But at the same point, it's not enough. It's one of those things where it's like, this feels as if like it's like a sales pitch more than it is the movie itself because the like elements of substance and plot are even pretty minimal right yeah
2: I feel like I liked it I I did like the slow burn and I do like some of the interesting things about it but they like introduce so many different elements in this movie but they don't go into it enough
0: yeah exactly
2: like the two cops at the beginning you only see one of the cops later again but you don't see the fat one who's in always plays a shit and everything he's yeah. in I forget his name you know just for example oh and then his relationship with his girlfriend just kind of falls apart but there's no real like one second they're having sex and the next time he's like going there drinking orange juice and they just break up and then nothing like it's just right exactly he just goes home he's like can i stay here and she's like sure
1: yeah i think she's she's the only woman in the film too from what i recall yeah
0: yeah the only one with speaking parts that i can recall Do you guys ever listen to Red Letter Media stuff or watch it on YouTube, rather? They do like the Mr. Plinkett reviews and Half in the Bag and and Best of the Worst. I'm a big fan of that channel. And Mike Staclossus talks about that people have the not gaze, which is to say in film and media, very often, if you have anybody in even like a slightly homoerotic position, they immediately have to change, like uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. They had to crowbar in the princesses, which almost feels tacked on because they have to establish these two heterosexual men could not be so so closely entwined with one another so that you need the visual representation to distinguish and that's Nancy in this movie I understand is that to a point but they don't do it in a way that shows that it's specific and it almost feels like that kind of homophobic inclusion of that woman am I right Mm -hmm. because like if they showed his sense of repression if they showed his struggle more the furthest they get into that is when she's trying to fillet his member and he's hearing the sounds of the bar and the leather in his head and that's as far as it goes they don't show that he's having an inability to perform or anything like that that kind of ties it directly to her and he's not overcompensating necessarily she kind of gives a furtive glance while they're boning at one point but it's all just kind of not clear
1: but see I thought they kind of used her as like this I think it makes sense now that she's the only female in the film because she's kind of like this backdrop like she I know she's like a very minute character to it but you see like during the last half of it when she puts on the the leather hat she puts on the glasses it's like I almost see it as like she never really existed it was all in his head and that's how he gets his repressed closeted feelings out where she's never really existed that's just his internal fights at least that's what I picked on uh, too much PBS
0: No, I think that's actually a very good point because in the book, he's much more closeted. He's much more homophobic and he's racist and he's not a very likable character. Whereas Pacino in this, they try to make him likable from the beginning. I think that's a huge pitfall. I think making him a scum sucking pig at the beginning and then realizing it makes that arc better because in the book, the whole thing is that he falls or starts to have romantic feelings for his neighbor. It's implied kind of with Ted, but then basically ruined immediately because it's just like this compromise thing. And then the murder comes out of it, which almost works, but then kind of doesn't. I mean, it's just it's all kind of. But I do like Adrian said, I want to add the caveat. I like this movie. Like I'll watch it again. I enjoyed it. It's just my criticism is all like armchair like 30 years later. Wait, is it only 30 years?
2: Yeah, it's more than that. Yeah, I know. It's 1980, 40. 40. Oh, my God. Yeah. See, when I first seen this
1: movie, I think the reason I liked it so much because it was before you look into it more, it's more like, man, this is like really sleazy. This is grindhousey. The music. This is actually yeah. this is one of my favorite soundtracks besides heavy metal
0: the germs they did three salt or no they did six but they only included three right
1: yeah yeah willie DeVille and all that stuff yeah this like i said this is what tarantino wishes he could have added in his next movie or done it beforehand
0: i completely agree with that it, it's and it's also so authentic like you have guys like tarantino it's a great point trying to do this authenticity now like with once upon a time in hollywood where they're recreating sunset boulevard and they're driving and they're recreating this semblance of the past like this what's weird about this is it's really in a gay bar it's really gay extras. It's really everything is like real. And then it's just, it's just kind of like stories on top of it, uh, which it just is a little bit odd. Now, Doug, uh, how long ago had you seen this film for the first time? Because you sent us pictures of you at a screening of it in full leather garb, which I was very impressed by.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wish I had my beer belly hanging out when I had that, but yeah, that was twenty. When was that? The 2018, 19. So I seen it two years before that screening where it was at the New Art Theater. So if you're familiar with it, it's off. New Art's great. Yeah. It's great. A little theater, but that that's where John Waters premiered Pink Flamingos and he drove up instead of a limo. It was a, it was a garbage truck. So yeah. could, there's a lot of cool pictures on the walls there. And yeah, they had Child's Play 2 a screening with the director. I remember not too long ago, but yeah. They do shows and we we staged a fake protest. My buddy Armando, he's uh, he's the host there and he does he does the interviews and stuff. And yeah, we set up a fake protest to kind of recreate uh, you know the, for the midnight show. You came in a leather garb, you won prizes, it was stuff like that. And then I remember for the Q and A, the first question they got and say, "All right, have have you ever had your dick sucked by a man?" You know what I mean? The, the audience yeah. just kind of reacts. And then we staged this protest. It was a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I hope New Art gets that. They should be opening on the. Fifteenth of June, I believe.
0: Yeah, they're great. They do a bunch of great midnight showings. I, I wish that they did stuff beyond midnight though, a little bit more. But yeah, that's I've seen Conan the Barbarian there. I saw Hook there. They've they do a great amount of diversity, which I appreciate.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's all thir- they really push for film prints. So you know, rarely you would see yeah. a, um, a DCP on a flash drive. Yeah, So Digital. No, they're all thirty-five mm-hmm. millimeters. So you cinema heads, they did Eraserhead, Child's Play two. We went to go see Shocker there on thirty-five millimeter. So much play it was, there was a lot of fun. So yeah,
0: shameless plug for them. Now, 102 minutes, the runtime, it feels brisk to me, even though we have all these, I think that might be why I'm complaining is because it feels like it moves very organically and fluidly. And I think that's why I'm like, oh man, let's include more story, more story, but it's already pushing the limits of my 90 minute attention span. So what'd you guys think of the time?
1: I thought it was just fine for me when I enjoyed it. In fact, I I was the same way as you. I remember when I first seen it, I'm like, Oh, they're just ending it here. Like, because the the thing is, I mean, I don't know if I should say it now, wait till the end, but it's like, there's multiple killers out there. You know what I mean? Like it's Al Pacino may be the killer, but we'll never know because they didn't add more influx into that storyline there.
2: Yeah. I probably could have used more background. I didn't think it was that long. I don't know. Anyways, I don't know where I was going with that because I don't really know if I, after watching it twice now, if I quite understand what happened. But with the fact that it is multiple killers, it stands to reason that maybe they all look different and it is Al Pacino because maybe he has like, you know, multiple personality disorder because didn't they say that that other guy was schizophrenic too? And then, I don't know. So... If there was if the movie was longer, I feel like it would have been clearer to me. Because I feel like it paid attention. Like I didn't pick up my phone the first time. Second time I did, because I, you know, I'd already seen it. But yeah. I feel like it could have had but we know that it did. So maybe it did have. Yeah, you,
1: you never know. It could line. even be a supernatural storyline. Cause remember he's like, everyone who goes into that apartment, you know, they change. They change. So you know, it could be that if you look at it that way. That's so right. A little yeah. exorcism.
2: <laughs> oh, and did you guys notice? All the little, well, they're they're not cameos,
0: but did you notice all the fun people? Oh my God. (laughs) You mean to tell me that Al Pacino fights Ajax from the Warriors in his underpants? Doug, that's the sales pitch right there, right? That's what they should have put on the fucking poster for this film.
1: Oh, I know. I know. They, They were, this is a movie that I feel like they were too afraid to make a really cool poster for it. You know what I mean?
0: We're talking about Friedkin. So Friedkin, this wasn't his idea. He kind of gets lured into it. Originally, Philip D'Antoni, who had worked with him on The French Connection, was like, hey, you should do this. And he's like, no, nah, I'm not really into it. And then they tried to go to Spielberg. And then it was years later, Jerry Weintraub, who was the producer of the film, says, hey, man, like you should really look at this. I think you dig it. And by this point, there had been like murders in gay bars and stuff. And so enough to get his attention. And that's where like the research that you were talking about kind of comes in. And it's a weird one where Friedkin's history with the research for the film is very convoluted and i think it's purposefully convoluted uh, you know as if to like just kind of build this legend of what he did but from my understanding it was pretty basic stuff like going and just seeing and scoping more locations because that's the way he treats the culture is like the framing like this is the location it's not like the interpersonal relationships right yeah
2: so well that makes sense then because and then and i always think too i feel like Older movies like this, it's really hard to find a lot of information that could be true or untrue or whatever, because no one's really documented the way we document things now. So...
0: Yeah, deleted scenes are a creation of the 90s with DVD. Because what were deleted scenes before? You might get a director's cut, but very rarely were we collecting these things and putting them out. And so when it like the extra footage was deleted, it's like okay, yeah, that's a very run of the mill. I saw like a conspiracy theory online that it was like very homophobic, which it very well may have been, but the sum of its parts, like I would believe that this is just like the custom and practice of the time more so than anything. Well,
2: even Al Pacino has a line at some point of the movie, and I can't remember exactly how it goes. You probably know what I'm talking about. But when he says that we can't just accuse someone just because they're gay or we can't, you know, something about that. And I thought that was very, I, I didn't expect to hear someone say something like that in 1980.
0: Yeah, very much so. Especially when you take the other cops in the scenario, it makes him sympathetic. And that's one of the things if they had made him a piece of shit in the beginning and he has this story arc of going around to being like, no, like because I think he says, like, I, you know, I didn't join the force to shit can some kid just because he's gay, I think is the line uh, okay. when he's talking to the captain. Right. Yeah. And that that could show a great character. But also, I don't think that they lean into his relationship with Ted enough. The closest they really get to any kind of romantic feeling or anything is when he's like, I wish I could do something for you. Mm-hmm. Which I say that to people all the time. Wish I could do something, but you fucked. Sorry about it.
2: He does beat up or try to beat up Remar, doesn't he? So.
0: She so tries funny. and fails because Ajax got those dancer's hips.
2: I know. He was so cute, too. I was like, oh my God, how fine is he in this one? And then Ed O'Neill is in this.
0: Yeah. Too. <laughs> in the bo- the scene with the steak i was like oh my god what does-? and then the dad from boy meets world is the friend of the killer and i was like
2: yes
0: what the fuck
2: i'm like what the hell is going on in this movie i like i feel like i feel like we should know this already like al bundy is in this fucking movie how come no one talks about it yeah they're yeah. just like oh so this is the
1: movie that you had in the leather bars down like off you know what i mean a lot of a lot of cameos in this i didn't pick up on that either until like my third watch in maybe so you got a good eye <laughs>
0: Now, Friedkin has always, you know, was the director. He wanted Richard Gere to play the main part. What do you guys think of that? Because he thought that the androgyny was important. I don't mind Pacino's casting. I mind his depiction of the character.
2: Uh, Well, firstly, with Pacino, when they said... We're looking for someone that fits your description, a late 20s something. I'm like, he ain't fucking no late 20s. I looked it up and he was 40 years old when he filmed this film. So he was not late 20s. It shows. <laughs> and yeah, so we know that he's older, right? But I feel like Richard, I really like the idea of having Richard Gere in this role. I think that he would have done really well with it. It's sad that we don't have that because, especially with his look back then, and Richard Gere was so cute. Oh my God. They have those old pictures of him sitting like half naked on a car. I'm like, ah. Oh. He could have also played one of the, the, the gay men that was murdered as well. Yeah. Because he had that look.
0: Doug, what do you think of the casting?
2: I thought the
1: casting...
0: You've dressed up as Pacino.
1: Yeah. I mean, Al Pacino on this, I think I could picture someone else. It's weird. I could picture Steve Gutenberg of, of all things.
0: <laughs> Dude, that'd be great casting, actually. Because he has that boyish kind of like innocent kind of sweetness about him, I think would make him way more alluring to some of these guys. In these situations.
1: Yeah, because like you said, Al Pacino, he's in his 40s. He's just like, you know, he just seems like, a, oh, an everyday cop. But if you get someone like Steve Gutenberg or someone where it's like this kind of like Spongebob in this world where it's like naive to everything, but just kind of picking it all up. Yeah. I don't know. I, I Al Pacino just seems too old. But I guess that was a trope of the 80s because, you know, you had 40 year olds playing, you know, high school people. So. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, and with Pacino, though, he did do well in one part of the movie where he's walking into one of the nightclubs and they kick him out. But the way he walks in, he looks very predatory and yeah. he looks like he's, he's just getting Al Pacino does a good job at slowly unraveling and you see it in his face. And I don't know if it's because he's older. And so maybe he just looks like he's been around the block too many times.
0: Got them wrinkles.
2: Yeah. (laughs) He does with his eyes in in all of his movies. Anytime, like, he does this look, and I, I can't even explain it, but I'm sure you guys know what I mean. This one look he makes with his eyes, and you're like, oh, that's how we know that he's he's
1: lost it. I wish there was a few more scenes like the one with the handkerchief where he walks into the the bar, he's like, Oh, what does this color do? That's for yes. golden showers. This is if you like watching, this is if you give blowjobs, and this color is for receiving. So and, and you know he walks out, he's he's uncomfortable, he's like, Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go home and think about it. And then the shop owner's like you do that. I hope you make the right choice.
0: Yeah. Well, and then the guy gets pissy at him and he's like, Don't wear that fucking panky then. And it's like, here's a guy who ostensibly is completely without. Coming into a scenario where he looks older than other people. He obviously seems very antagonistic and uncomfortable. And he's just kind of seamlessly walking around and nobody's really questioning that. Like, you know, some of the people are like, oh, is he engaging in gay sex? Like, based on the depiction, I can't really conclude that he is based on the way he's presented. He doesn't seem that he's immersing himself in the culture aside from the dance scene, right? Do you ever get the feeling that he was actually going forward with these things
1: well my theory on it was yeah he was he was closeted from the beginning and this is just kind of opening his his, i don't know because he also did i don't know if he did ecstasy or if he did they were snorting something in that napkin ether i think yeah ether yeah so they were all kind of going crazy and and, you know it could be from the ether or it could just be that uh, you know he's finally like trying to come out but then he like goes back in you know that's how i put it i guess you know that's a story arc without really saying anything, just kind of from visual images?
2: Well, he could be. Actually, I think he is intrigued by this lifestyle. I think he's definitely interested in it. And then there is no... Maybe when he was looking at the first guy that they accused, when he was looking at him, I feel like that was when he was starting to um, try to like immerse himself, I guess, in that culture. But he didn't really... The handkerchief was half-assed. And I really... You're right. Like, I'm surprised nobody noticed before that one guy threw him out that he's just kind of fucking around in there, that he's not really part of that. Because at that, some point, like, you have to, like, blend in, try and dance a little bit, right? have a couple more drinks. Which I could understand,
0: friends. like, you know, a closeted guy trying to go into that scenario and people being sympathetic to that. Like, oh, you're kind of austere because you haven't indulged. And I, that kind of makes sense. Mm hmm. But there isn't that relationship that isn't set up. It's just kind of unaddressed. And I think that kind of is is a pitfall. Like, you know, just a guy putting his hand on his chest, there's just, there's no step. And I wonder if that's like basically... The homophobia from the filmmakers thinking like you can't have a redeeming character who even kisses a guy. You know, the fact that he just ends up naked and strapped down on a bed and there was nothing that led up to that. You know, again, I could see it as a homosexual person being very or any kind of queer, not just homosexual, being like, wait, so we just we just raw dog and there's there's no romance to it. There's no like I could see that being like presented in a way that's just almost despicable.
2: Just like what you said. I don't know if it's so much their homophobia more like their ignorance to how these relationships really are. So even the the sex scene in the beginning was very, it, it was inorganic. Like they just grab onto the boot. Like no one does that. If they're really doing this, they're not doing this like this. So it just felt like a straight man making a movie.
1: That, that's that's how I feel too. It's kind of like you know what I mean, like the the straight people trying to figure it out. It's almost like those people that um y- you'll see it, like mm-hmm. the ones that generalize kind of horror in a, in a they're like oh you're horror, and then all of a sudden they say oh you're the Freddie and the Michael, but it's like it's like Michael Myers with the chainsaw where they just they see it from a far distance like oh you're Michael Myers so you have a machete yeah. and a hockey mask. That's kind of how I felt like they did with like the like the leather bars and BDSM and all that and just homosexuality in general and so they kind of put it that way if, if that makes sense where they pick up the face of it
0: but they don't pick up the full body A mm-hmm. 100% because like there's a great swath of subtlety that's just kind of missed and it's touched on in the one scene where he's using the lingo And it's establishing like there's so much that you don't know as the layman, right? But the vessel of this movie, because it's a fish out of water story, it has a perfect opportunity to show this kind of culture to people who are are not initiated. And that's one of the, the pitfalls. It's like, watch him. Have a scene where Ted's like, dude, I don't know what kind of kinky shit you're into. That's not the way that we do things. Or, you know, using common language and also having that relationship be a little more intimate because then that makes the payoff at the end when he's saying, I'm back. Basically to say, like, I've purged my mind of this and I'm going to be the little hetero automaton. I think that makes it a way cooler ending if you have that romance at the beginning. But when you don't, it's just a collegial relationship. It's like, all right, you know, this this is the 80s, bro. You don't have Facebook and stuff. You could ghost people way easier back then.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Well, he did, and then uh, look what happened to Port Ted.
1: I want to say mm-hmm. they broke up because of uh, him spilling the orange juice on the floor.
2: <laughs> oh my god! Well, I, I just noticed that scene
1: too. He's walking around <laughs> spilling orange juice, and then the next shot, it's closed. <laughs>
2: to go back to that scene, when she opens the door and she's like, "Why didn't you use the key?" Like, so when did he stop using like? what's th- i feel like there's a, a bunch of shit we missed from the last time he was there up until that point so it's like remember he's like don't leave me and all this stuff yeah. and then what do what do they do and they she goes back and sees him she breaks up with him so
0: i i don't know and the timetable is weird like so let's go to the very beginning of the movie because we kind of got our ahead of ourselves so the movie is a captain calls in a new guy after they find some bodies and he's like, hey. You fit the description of these guys. I want you to go deep undercover. And he's like, you're just going to get a bundle of money and you are get a phone number to call, even though they have a face to face scene later. A couple of them, which is fine, but whatever. So he moves to this new area. It's, it's a predominantly gay area. His uh, neighbor is gay and, and they're in a relationship. So that's his like foot in the door. Then he ends up you know, cruising But they have no idea how long that takes. You have no idea if his girlfriend's being impatient or if she's being a saint. If this whole story took four years to unfurl, hey, of course she'd be upset. If it took four days, uh, what?
2: Mm -hmm. So is there a timeline?
0: No vaguely because they talk about like the captain needing to kind of step things up before the democratic convention or whatever but it's again there's no the ticking clock comes kind of after the fact and even the ticking clock is vague it's basically that guy being like hey i'm gonna have to give somebody else your job if you don't get me results
2: so i think they shove that in there to show that they're just going to Try and and, and just find whomever at this point, right?
0: Yeah, stick it.
2: Which the guy with the steak knife, like that was actually a pretty good, you know, I thought like he fit the description. He was violent. He was, nobody liked him and he had access to all of these steak knives. Right. So yeah. they weren't too far off. I don't think, but I really think that Al Pacino is upset when they walked in on them because he wanted to,
0: Oh, actually get yeah, it.
1: Cause remember when they break in, they, they break down the door and he's like, Hey, what are you guys doing? And it's like, you're, you're fucking up my horny time.
0: Yeah. Come on guys. I didn't even get to see his. Unsheathed knife. I think Pacino knows he's not the guy. That's why when he gets roughed up, he's like, This is bullshit. Also, interrogation scene.
1: This is the best interrogation scene I've ever what? seen in any movie. <laughs>
0: There are scenes in this movie where I'm convinced that he's having a psychotic break, like on precinct night when he's walking around. It's got the blue filter and the giant handcuffs and everybody's dressed like cops. I was like, oh, naturally, this is a dream sequence. And he this is a manifestation of what's going on in his subconscious. And then he actually physically gets kicked out. And then I was like, what? And then this scene is so surreal. I like imagine. Imagine this. The guy, the big African-American man in the jockstrap and the cowboy hat, you get a check from the precinct for slapping these guys in an interrogation, and you have to go to a bank and cash that check. That's the weirdest scene in, that's ever happened in history. Oh, I
1: think it's hilarious. That's like, that's like a Three Stooges moment. That's what I feel like. <laughs> you
0: know <what> I mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And the look on his face of like, who the fuck are you? And who said you could fucking slap me? And what's going on? And then he gets his cheeky little revenge. And he's like, hey, you shouldn't slap me. and throws his hat out the window. <laughs>
1: <laughs> See, I, I wonder if that was a shock to the uh, to, to the actual people filming because you notice like when, when Al Pacino and the other guy get slapped, their response isn't that, oh, fuck, you slapped me. It's like,
0: what the? It's like, yeah. They're not a yeah. wilting lily, which I think is hugely important because it's not, you know, the sissification doesn't really take place in this movie the way it was very prototypical of the time. You know, the, the most effeminate guy is James Remar, who then kicks his ass, arguably. Well,
2: he's got the got his little stigma knife too. So. But he
0: also like knees him and throws him into the like little foyer oh, area. Like he doesn't true, just yeah. get his ass kicked and desperately cling to something. He creates this sense. And I, I don't know, he represents himself. I thought that he was actually a really interesting character. Like the, the jealousy that he depicts, I think was really cool. I think that they. I would have loved to see that develop more because then it creates the question at the end of, is it Pacino or is it him? I have no reason to conclude it's anybody but Pacino at that point.
2: Saying it has to be him, I just know. Like, you can't just clean up the movie and say it was, was the boyfriend and then never tell me the fuck happened
1: yeah there's there's a lot of scenes on here like you said uh, with all that stuff being cut like there's there's some scenes that feel like uh remember in blues brothers like when he just throws the cheese he's like thanks the cheese with like scenes like that where it's just there's there's no build-up there's no exposition it's just randomly there like the scene when he first moves into the apartment and he has all those stacks of like playboy and or playgirl and stuff like that and he throws it in the bin and then uh, yeah he just comes out he's like hey don't throw those magazines away leave it out stacked it up on the side and the lady will come in and sell it but what for what Like, like it's just a weird scene like was there something that built up before this or after what the fuck happened?
0: Yeah. And their relationship, I think is really cute at the beginning, like them just going out to coffee. and It's very innocuous and innocent. And I think that I can understand the fact that they don't become romantically engaged, showing the quaintness of their relationship and being like, there is no reason for James Remar to be upset and that jealousy, blah, blah, blah. And then you could almost use that as a vessel to then have them have that romance. I think that, that he never has a burn off with Ted is a huge mistake in this film. Have him go, like, have Ted be like, hey, why did you do this? Like, I have nowhere to live. And him be like, come live with me. And I think that almost makes him disappearing way more interesting. Imagine the scenario where Ted goes down to the landlady is like, have you seen my friend? And she's like, oh no, he paid in cash. He never left a name. I've never seen him again. And then there's this like playwright who's out there destitute and alone. That's a really interesting way of ghosting someone. Or Ted. He's a great character. He does a very good job of I mean, he's sympathetic. He's kind. He's affable.
1: Yeah, he's Carrot Top. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it was kind of like shocking at the end. I felt bad at the end. When he could, and that's why I said Al Pacino could possibly be the killer, you know?
0: Oh, I definitely think he did. I think he killed dead. I think that's the only conclusion I can reach. When it comes to the other killings, what's interesting, too, there's multiple styles of killing there's the S and M stabbing in the back. Then there's the torsos in the river and, and the chunks and stuff there. There could have been multiple killers just there. And I think that again, if you make Al Pacino seem more homophobic, more aggressive, you know, compensating for something at the beginning, there's the possibility he committed those prior murders. I think that the clear way to read it, there's possibly two killers at the beginning. He catches one of them. He becomes the killer at the end. Anybody else have a different opinion?
1: Mm, no, I, I could totally see that, you know, it- you could look at it as like a, a legitimately like say, OK, so this doesn't make sense. Or, you know, even if you really wanted to argue the case, you could be like, oh, the AIDS epidemic is kind of the the subtext of it. It could be possibly because, like I said, when you're when you're filming something like this and you're not fully, like I said, the whole horror category thing where they say is like, oh, you're you're uh, Michael Myers with a chainsaw. So, yeah. So so that's the whole thing. Like I said, you could even argue it's like the AIDS epidemic kind of going around because uh, for this one here, I could, I could see how the gay community was angry with it. Everyone here has got the same stereotypical uh, Freddie Mercury mustache. Everyone's sweaty and everyone's making out with each other. And it's just kind of like, oh, that's that's what the that's what the gay community does. They're sweaty in the basement uh, making out. So, you know what I mean? It's just kind of, yeah, everyone could be the killer with that one there.
2: Yeah. Well, and and also, too, this could be a commentary on AIDS because some someone is targeting these men. Right. AIDS targets mostly the gay male community.
0: Well, even if it's not the fact that it does, it's the fact that it's very often depicted as it does. So again, yeah, an armchair person who's like coming from without within trying to comment on the society might take those broad generalizations of, well, gay men are the ones who contract AIDS. My uncle died of AIDS he was a homosexual man. He was the best person in my life. That's why I'm hugely passionate about these kinds of issues. And so to see a compromised vision, I always kind of take offense to because I remember people speaking in those broad generalizations or like being in high school and people like, fag. that's not okay. Like it's just completely wrong. And so this self-righteous indignation or whatever you want to call it, like I would take it to heart. And so that's maybe like where I'm most critical of the film is where it doesn't lean into it enough because, you know, it's like I'm addressing it, but I'm not. But keep going mm-hmm. aid, I just want to make sure that was clear because I think that the, that is emblematic of the other issue we were talking about,
2: yeah, but, the, but again, what you're saying, nothing is ever I think they mentioned AIDS once in the movie and they never came back to it mm-hmm. so you know there's a lot of there's a lot going on in this community. I can see why people were getting angry about it, but then all of the extras in those scenes were gay men that were happy to go and do that
0: well there's a huge point there because so the film was nominated for two Razzies. One was for directing and one was for screenwriting. And those are the things that fail in a very organic movie. When you have this great backdrop, of actual gay men. Like the fact is, is like, why didn't we have a gay man play this character? Why didn't we have those scenes of intimacy? Why, why isn't he just like, just try kissing the guy, like something to show that you're invested beyond this because it all just kind of feels tacked on a little bit. That's the big frustration that I have. Like I, I like the idea of a prototypical male, like Al Pacino it makes a great sense when you have the kind of fluctuation or issues instead of having somebody who's more effeminate from the beginning. It's just, I think that the failure is Friedkin's more than anybody's because if he had a clear narrative vision from the very beginning, because he's the one who adapted the screenplay, mind you. Sorry, I I didn't mention that. So he's the one who adapts the book from Jerry Walker. And again, if you have a clear and consistent vision throughout, you can cut out 40 minutes of fisting at a bar and still have a narrative. Whereas this narrative, I think, is compromised in each scene. But let's uh, let's do some positives. Aid, what's your favorite part about this movie? Like, What's your favorite scene or character or depiction or anything?
2: I do like this movie, so I don't yeah. want anyone to think I don't like this movie. I really did like this movie. I do like how Friedkin sets up these characters and everything's very slow burning. I like the conversations that people have. Some of my favorite parts are with Al Pacino, obviously, but with Al Pacino interacting with Ted. All of their interactions together were great. You know, I really liked their relationship and... I really feel like if he had just he could have had a better ending overall if he had just sort of leaned into Ted and sort of, instead of just kind of diving into this to the cesspool or whatever, because he he targets that one guy and he attacks him because of his homophobia, but also because he can't accept the fact that he is probably gay. Right.
0: Or at the very least buy bi or buy curious or I mean, that's the thing. Like, I don't think you have to use the defense, like, you know, such specifics, but yeah.
2: No, no, obviously not. But he's struggling with that. It's a shame that they don't have more of that internal struggle, because I think that's a really dangerous character trait for someone to be so homophobic, but then also have some gay tendencies and lash out at people. Mm-hmm. So because, you know, obviously the, me- the people killing these men are sleeping with them. So they're obviously gay in some way, shape, or form, bi, what have you. And they're just, oh, and how vicious are those stabbings? Like yeah. He stabbed that guy yeah. in the beginning. Oh, my God. Yeah, even at
1: the autopsy scene still makes me cringe because it's like, oh, yeah, see, the first stab here, it's a straight line. And then the other ones are kind of curved because he was struggling. Like, man, that's that's brutal when you just think about it like that. So.
0: Yeah. okay. And I, what do you think of the fact that they transpose the stabbing with penetration? I understand it. there's some questions there, and I think that tying it with Stuart at the end with his dad and that relationship, I think they tried to do with that flashback what they failed to do with the movie. I think, again, if you have a consistent narrative arc, like look at characters... It, you know, it's a frustrating character, but think about like uh, like Rafe finds in Red Dragon. It is consistently driven home. He is the subject of abuse. And I'm not saying that Stuart would be gay because his dad was abusive. I'm saying he was abused because of the cause and effect. And I think that reinforcing that and that self-loathing and that betrayal and that hostility, tying it to his dad, you having one conversation on a park bench that was fake doesn't replace the whole movie. Yeah. And,
2: yeah, and I like that you said that it, about the consistency there because... I feel like they just keep introducing new characters throughout the entire movie. Like no, there's right. Like all these people just keep pop, like you know Corey Matthews' dad just pops up. We could have met all of these people from the beginning so that we would all like be like, oh well, maybe it's him or maybe it's this person or you know, like a little who done it or whatever. But they just would bring people up towards the end of the movie, and I don't know if that necessarily like we hear all about Gregory throughout the movie, right? Because Ted is bitching about him. And then we finally meet him. So I guess Gregory is a little bit more consistent than some of the other characters is what I'm trying to say.
0: No, I I completely agree with that. I think it's also a frustration where you see movies like Dirty Harry where you're like, I know who the bad guy is. You're not the bad guy. This is all other shit. If we had that kind of cryptic presentation, it would be easier because steak knife guy, you know, it's not steak knife guy from the beginning. You know, it's Mm -hmm. a red herring. But if they had presented it in a different way with, I mean, I get that they kind of look alike, but it just wasn't there Uh, having those red herrings or having it where, you know, that. A plot, B plot. A plot is consistent. If you get through the whole movie with A, B, A, B, A, B, you don't go three fourths of the movie through A, little bit of B, little bit more a little bit of B, a little bit more A, a little bit of B, A. Right? That I feel like I've talked about it. Like I love that. Like when you know what the protagonist is doing and what the antagonist is doing, and I think that that would have been a great workup because like there's a couple killings throughout, but like. Other scenes where, like, what if while the guy's in custody, you got the actual killer goes and kills somebody. That absolves him. Stuff like that, I think, is much more dynamic and more, while hyperbolic, more engaging in cinema. Doug. What do you think of the scene with the dad on the bench? Do you think that that's good enough or do you think it should have gone farther?
1: I think it should have gone way farther, to be honest. like, like It, it kind of harkens back to, it reminded me of the, uh, I just watched the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory remake and there's scenes where he flashes back with his dad there. That's kind of what it reminded me of here where it just, it, it was like a last minute thing. I feel like they could have really incorporated that throughout the whole movie instead of, because for me, like I remember yeah. the first time I watched this, since a lot of the guys do look the same, I, I got confused on who was who. I'm like, wait, so this guy was that guy or what? what what's going on here? Yeah. Steak knife guy could yeah. have been, I don't know. Like I, I think they try to do that purposely, but yeah, I mean, I wish they didn't introduce like the, the killer with the dad way later in the movie. You know what I mean? Like it would, if it was a constant thing, maybe yeah. his roommates or, you know, maybe it was Teddy or something like that, but you know, there's a lot of ways it, it could have went, but I can say every time the steak knife guy pops up, it always made me hungry for going to a restaurant and using that wipe on the brown bread. They used to have, I think if you go to,
0: <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. At Outback, baby. So,
1: ooh, I'm craving some of that bread now.
0: Now, as far as Boy Meets World dad goes, the whole, you know, he doesn't address him in any way or identify Stewart as actually being gay. Do you think that it's more interesting that he doesn't know or that he would know and he's still a nurturing and considerate and accepting person? And even despite having positive reinforcement now, you can never escape the crippling kind of mental effect and trauma that he went through with his dad. Because I kind of would have liked it if they had like been like, yeah, you know, like, yeah, it's cool. You know, I'm still going to smoke your weed. <laughs>
2: Yeah. But again, I don't think they knew how to address that because I don't know if a Mm -hmm. lot of people behaved in that way back then. I I wasn't alive, so I don't know. And I feel like maybe there weren't that many allies as as there are now. So he probably wouldn't have admitted that to somebody.
1: Yeah, well, see, you got to think, too, even for the time 1980, there wasn't texting, there wasn't a group like an online community or like. So Mm. basically, if you're in this if you're in this town and just family, it's like that's scary stuff to think about. It's like I have to hide my identity because it's a small town and, you know, and there's no positive community. You know, they'll probably try to wring your neck, you know, back in 1980.
0: Yeah, and I think that it would have been very helpful to show that it wasn't simply the fact that he was gay or was ever in the closet, but that he was tortured and that that's what made you know, if he had these proclivities, it exponentially increased them because, I mean, basically his dad's just like not nice to him, which especially, you know, I could imagine if you're a gay person being like, I was repressed. I didn't fucking kill anybody. You're basically making a propensity argument that anybody who's just closeted could be a murderer or something. So I think that another point where showing... Like you know, Red Dragon's a great example. Like you know that without even seeing what the grandma did, you know what the grandma did. And so in this, like I understand, flashbacks are expensive, casting kid actors. Nobody wants to work with animals and kids, right? And also, do we like the singing? Because I don't, the singing harkens back to juvenility and being a kid. But it doesn't. I don't. I don't remember ever singing to my with my dad unless it was to the band Boston. So I don't remember doing nursery rhymes. Did you have an immediate connection with that?
1: No, I, I didn't personally have a immediate connection with that. I find it kind of cringy, <laughs> to be honest.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I do like the, the killer saying, you made me do that. See, that's great, right? And if, let's get the scene with the dad. You know, yeah, you shouldn't be dressing up like that, Stewie. You made me do that. And he like, fastens his belt and walks out of the room. Like that shows a direct correlation, which you can have subtlety and stuff like a novel. We have 102 minutes. I know it might be heavy handed to the point of exaggeration, but that's what gets you there in cinema. Go, Aid. You were going to say something and I cut you off. Go.
2: Like I said, that was problematic for me because I feel like it just came up out of nowhere. And so if we did do a remake, we should talk about a remake.
0: Let's do it. Let's finish this episode off talking about who we would cast and what we would do differently.
2: Yeah. Who would play who?
0: Oscar Isaac and Pedro Pascal would be my two choices for the top two leads of this film. I think that would be fucking amazing.
1: Now, see, if you were to see a remake, would you want it kind of the same as this, just expanded or would you want to make the character almost like an Archie Bunker type character where he's like he's like this (laughs) big racist bigot? And, you know, like you said, but just someone like Archie Bunker, you know? (laughs)
0: make him despicable make him have an arc that shows growth and that would make the end where he kills somebody so much more severe because you see that the beauty of empathy and shared experience and understanding and acceptance and then he's willing to compromise it just to have his own false identity of self and compromise himself I mean I think that would be a really interesting story
2: I think Oscar Isaac would be perfect for that because he could play such a shit and Andrew Garfield like somebody sweet looking could be ted
0: that'd be great i like that anything where he's not playing peter parker i'm great with
2: he's <laughs> just got a little baby face and then who could play nancy i don't even know but what, what girl could we feel sorry for with that she's not getting laid enough
0: Nicki minaj oh god
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes she's like i have this wet ass <laughs> pussy and he's like i just want a wet ass thank you very much
1: so like, and no one will microwave it it's cold and clammy <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> oh no, the macaroni in a pot that's what i'm thinking of <laughs> Mac- yeah yeah oh that's oh, right, like right. someone else so i don't even know
0: so doug who would you cast if you were recasting al pacino's part of either what is it john lynch or steve byrne whatever you want to call it? yeah
1: them? you know um like i said I'd, I'd love to see it as like an archie bunker type character you know who comes to mind the most it's weird to say maybe maybe the ages too but john goodman i thought would be kind of weird to have but you know i could see
0: that I think you make a great captain because the captain has the arc where he's like, don't fucking tell me about these guys. I don't fucking believe you. He is benefiting from the prostitute, but then disregarding and being very selfish. And then at the end, when he has that look where he's like,
2: Nick clicks.
0: you're from the sixth precinct, especially yeah. old Goodman, like Cloverfield Lane Goodman. Fuck. Yeah. I'd like to see that scene where he's like, Oh, I'm uh, not a good guy.
2: John Goodman. Young would be a good role for that because he was actually very thin and handsome and, he would have had that look as a younger
0: man. A pre-Roseanne man.
2: A pre-Roseanne Dan. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, man. Well, speaking of Roseanne, I was watching because uh, Johnny Rotten, uh, I don't know. Every time I watch this movie, I always feel like listening to like Johnny Rotten type music. And uh, yeah, there okay. was something we was just randomly with Roseanne. He he was fired off the set of Roseanne because Johnny Rotten was there. He's like, I want to go get uh, something from the slack ball because the slack bar was open, but most of it was gone. And I think Rosie was there first. And then they kicked him off the, the, wow. the set for making that joke. He's like, "Well, you can't send some money, man."
0: He was on an episode of Judge Duty, if I'm not mistaken. Recently? No, this is like a thousand years ago.
1: Oh man! But uh, yeah, back onto cruising here. So. Yeah, I definitely say John Goodman would would fit good in this film. Um, I'm trying to think of younger, more hip actors now. I, mean, I don't know. Like they're all the same actors are in this. If they're in Marvel, then, you know, then I don't know who's, so, yeah.
0: who's someone famous. You may know now. So Chris Pratt. But let's get him fat again, because that would be great.
2: I'm so mad at him now. He can't do anything. I'm just mad at him. Why? For for lots of reasons. But also that I think that he's a little I'm not going to say it. I can't say it.
0: Now my interest has never been greater in anything you've ever not said.
2: I don't want to sound angry like an angry woman, so I'm not going to say it. Well, mine is too, and I'm
1: not going to say anything. I'm going to do here and do a silent protest until you say it.
2: <laughs> no. Yep. no, because he. I no.
0: Because he's not with Anna Ferris anymore, the chick from it's Scary Movie. It's not just Movie? that; it's
2: just that he he's a part of like this this like church community that I think is is very anti oh. everything. Uh, Westboro Baptist Church,
0: the Illuminati. I feel like he voted yep.
2: in a way that I probably would not appreciate him for.
0: There's some evidence of that, given the fact that everybody else from his cast and crew went to one person's party, and he did not go to that party.
2: Exactly. So I'm very
0: mad at him. Okay, I'm not going to say names so we don't get a shitty little little review. Uh, keep your politics to yourself, your relative human experience. No horror movie's ever been political, ever. Oh, I know. I don't feel like those people are going to be listening to this month of content, though.
2: We're the bug men and bug women. Yeah. The bug people. We can be bug men.
1: Well, I hope you know whoever wrote the bug men thing out there, we're making shirts off of that. So so thank you. You know, you, thank you, you. you've lived in it for me
0: Yeah, I've had the most fun with that. It's my favorite review of all time and it's our worst one.
2: <laughs> and we have a hashtag now for that
0: too. Yeah,
2: I
1: like see, Bug Men. So yeah. please write all your reviews and yeah, we'll we'll make sure to get more one minute reviews out there. We'll do uh <laughs> yeah, we'll do Demons Three the Ogre. <laughs> <laughs>
0: There we go. I'm into it. Going to directors or other filmmakers who he would like to do this remake, if you will.
2: I wonder, well, you could give Tarantino his chance, I guess, at this point, right? Not really. No, he's out of (laughs) ideas.
0: I feel that he might be a little bit regressive with his choices of language and stuff. I I don't think I'd like to see Tarantino do anything. I feel like everything I see, I'm like, all right. You're making me love Reservoir Dogs just a little bit less.
2: Oh, I love that movie. I don't know, because would you cast a horror, like a, a director that's like specific to horror? Because this isn't necessarily just horror. It's like a, it's a thriller horror type
0: movie.
2: So like, I wouldn't want to see like Michael Bay or something no. like that do this.
0: <laughs> yeah, that would be the worst thing that's ever happened.
1: Well, whoever directed Drive, I think, would be a good contender for Ooh. this. Oh,
0: Oh, uh, Wending Refin. Yeah.
1: Uh, if you do like slow pan, I could see it. Slow pans, the club lights and stuff, a uh, good soundtrack. You know, this could really, uh, yeah, I, I think he would be the best one. Or whoever did the uh, the one uh, under the Silver Lake, which had Andrew Garfield in it. <gasps> yeah, that director. Oh, oh they also did uh, It Follows. So you know what I mean? Like, I, Yeah, so I'm picturing like a lot of those slow pan kind of shining shots that they do, that they pick up on.
2: It Follows was in the 80s too, right? Or It was, yeah. Okay. So, and that's another thing too, you have to consider because we have to keep this in the Mm eighties. I think, I don't think we could bring this in now like this, this wouldn't work now.
1: No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. Not with... I mean, no, not with cell phones, maybe. I don't know. I don't know.
2: Because I feel like the technology today just ruins all of, like, the, the a lot of plot, because a lot of things could be ruined with, like, a simple video that someone took on their phone. Like, there'd be cameras all in the clubs, like, that guy getting murdered in that little room. Like, there would have been a camera. Somebody would have seen the people go in there. Jake disagrees by the look on his face, or he has to poop. I can't tell, so...
0: No, I, I disagree. I think that Doug's point, Nicholas Winding Refn, doing the directing, set contemporary Oscar Isaac Pedro Pascal. Reason being, if there is CCTV, if there is technology that could assist the police and they don't use it, it goes to a, a serious problem that I see in our society where people who are marginalized because completely disregarded. It's It's not that these people aren't able to be avenged and vindicated and... and it's that they aren't being. It is a conscious disregard. And I think that is a that's a huge subplot to this movie that's kind of implied but not actually done.
2: Well, are there still... I'm just curious. I know that the, some of the clubs in this movie are real. So are they yep. Are they still there? And are they still as... I don't want to say it's seedy. Like, you know, yeah, they're all like doing it and fucking around down there.
0: Probably gentrified. They probably sell espressos there now.
2: But I want to know if like that's still, uh, they're, you know, they're, they're using the Crisco app, you know. <laughs> and, because i know that they're like we have a campground here uh, in central florida that a lot of people go to and they do stuff like that there but it's like in the middle of the woods in the middle of nowhere so it's not like necessarily in the city where anyone could just like oh let's go get a beer walk in and be like what the fuck did i just walk into right so i wonder if that's still I'm, i should i should have googled that
0: but i think that the fact that it would create that makes a very interesting, uh, you know, comment on the sub genre like this is not just gay people. This is a subset of gay people. It's very different and I think you have your little Andrew Garfield Ted being like, hey, I am very vanilla. I am just gay and I type on a typewriter. <laughs> That's the gayest thing about me is that I'm gay and then you have everything else where it shows just how deviant and aside this is you can build that relationship between them. Mwah. We just made a million dollar movie guys
1: Yay. See, in all less than 20 minutes and we didn't have to get paid 20 20- million dollars where the fuck are we in our writers credit guild
0: (laughs) (laughs) so also going back do we keep the ending the the nancy in the in the leather garb because that was like the ending i thought should have been him in the mirror staring at himself reconciling what he's done and become maybe he glances over and sees her but i think that like the severity of him kind of kind of show like he's a fucking murderer guy this is a bad guy i think that's the important part
1: yeah well we'll see my my take on it too especially watching it again uh, in new eyes, is that I don't think she ever really existed. I think it was just a figment of his imagination that that was his. Because do you think she'd really live in a? I mean, the hotel, the the place they were living at looked a little like more like a guy lived there with just kind of minimalist stuff and just the basic necessities. They had that toaster on the counter the whole time, and I.
0: And let me tell you, as a married man, no woman has that kind of sex drive. Am I right? Am I right?
1: Yeah. And then like the whole thing with the, you know, why didn't you use the keys? That line just does not make sense, like you said, Aid. But um, no, I, I see it. And then she puts on the sunglasses and the leather hat. And that's why I feel like she's just, you know, kind of just a visual feast for us.
0: Oh, the embodiment exactly, of his sexual yeah. desire. He's not straight. That's just his. Give me that. that okay doug you win i like that depiction that interpretation of it makes it way more interesting because now it's replaced he's it's not nancy it's Leatherbar. bar
1: yeah so that because her, her scenes are just so i mean i hate to say it but just very insignificant like just kind of there it's like oh there you are you know what i mean so it's just maybe she doesn't really exist and and that was part of william friedkin's thing to make her like the only female in the film
0: i actually really like that ending but then I don't feel like you could have that ending and him killing Ted, you know, because it feels like him killing Ted is him ridding himself of this. Oh, but then I guess the argument is that it's still there. Never mind. I do like this. I just I just prove myself that I, I am an no, idiot. No, no. just <laughs> I am. Uh, I used to be so smart. And then I started talking about the show. And it's so, so bad. Hey,
1: I, I I had a bowl and I had some coffee. So don't. maybe it's just uh, it's it's opening up the uh, synapses in me. Me third. ojo. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> did you do the the sativa that I think is a Carl Sagan thing?
1: No, I did the Prius, the hybrid. Mm. Ah. Yeah, that's a bad joke. I used that the second time. I got to write new stuff. Meet, meet.
2: <laughs> well, I have two things, though, before we finish. So first, firstly, I left her place because I'm thinking in New York City, she had all those windows, like it was an open floor plan. I was really excited about this apartment. So there was that. I didn't think it was... A guy's apartment because if you look in my place it's like a total mess too i'm a woman i live here so but also this was really stupid of me but when she was when she went out in the living room and found the jacket and the sunglasses and everything i thought that maybe like the killer had followed followed al pacino there and he was hiding somewhere and she was just like picking up this stuff thinking it was his but it wasn't and he was gonna pop out killer and then that was gonna end.
0: naked
1: mm, or the me. twist could be the police chief is the killer
2: But that's how I know I'm like, oh, God, I'm so fucking dumb because I'm (laughs) going to have to rewatch this movie.
0: But that's the narrative being so fractured allows us to go, oh, and like, how about the button scene? Like, so you have the cop who realizes that the neighbor to Ted was Al Pacino and you can see he kind of clicks over in his mind. Make the definitive statement, protect your cop, show how bigoted you secretly are and be like, nope, we'll never figure this crime out. Let's just ride it off. Like you have that button, it's kind of like the American History X one that talks about like the perpetual nature of this kind of hatred and intolerance and self interest, right? Because if he protects Pacino, he's protecting himself because he appointed Pacino to this position. So again, show that hey, I'm a bleeding heart. I get that it's not right that this guy made you suck his dick, but then immediately juxtapose that with him being like, but my self interest means more to me, and that I think goes to the jugular of what's wrong with us society today. Am I right? See, <laughs> si, senor.
1: So one thing I wrote on my notes here, for those who have seen it multiple times, does the beginning remind you of Zombie? Every time I see the opening, it reminds me of Fulci's Zombie. Like, they got the same type of uh, atmosphere, too. Just watch Zombie again. You'll see, like, when they're on the boat in New York. All right.
2: Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, because the was
1: there, and and she's like, so are you watching Zombie? I'm like, no, I'm watching Cruising.
2: (laughs) Oh, and that was another thing, too. All these body parts everywhere, they never, like, go back to that, really. And they never really go back to, like... The fact that the cops don't give a shit about these bodies, because remember at the beginning, the pathologist was all pissed off because they wouldn't call it in as a homicide.
1: Yeah. You say these guys are all just numbers to you.
2: They never really come. They don't come back to that, do they?
0: No, that's a good point is it shows that like it's not being investigated because you won't let it be investigated and again going to you know this very uh, brash and hyper-masculine and, and homophobic area I think it's huge so let us know what you think of cruising on the comments and all of our social media you can reach out to us slash, spot at gmail.com if you feel that we were insensitive or otherwise intolerant please let us know I'd love to correct that behavior in me because it's my absolute intent to to raise up I never want to sound as dumb as I think I am secretly but this movie movie all being honest this is a great movie like the fact that it exists is cool it's got a great amount of camp the effects are fun some of the things are cute like when he puts the quarter how do we not talk about him putting the quarter in there
2: the bloody quarter
0: that's a great little plot device it also has that like you know what i mean that kind of like badass like yeah i walk away from explosions (laughs) and porn that i paid for (laughs) i you know i love it all now doug let's say i get to the end of this episode that you had picked And I'm like, Doug, I want more Doug, Doug, Doug. Where do I get that?
1: Oh, okay. So you can get it from a few places. If you want to follow me and keep up on what I'm doing, it's at Doug Bizarro on Instagram. You could add me on Facebook too, but I'm more on Instagram. I don't know how to work. Twitter is some crazy stuff, isn't it? But you could also, uh, on, if you have a Roku B movie TV on Roku Fridays at 8 PM, I do a uh, Friday night action where we host a lot of actiony films and, uh, exploitation action films too. some really good, bad stuff we love. And, uh, that's Jake's also on B movie TV as well too. On Saturday night, Terrors at 10.
0: There, exactly. Now, Adrian, let's say I'm like, I really like these goons. They weren't intolerant shit butts. How do, uh, how do I support them? What would you tell that person? Well, I
2: would tell them you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash slashers pod. We have five new tiers now ranging from one to five dollars. Or you can also go on to our Redbubble at slasherspod.redbubble.com and get a t-shirt. Sticker, button, coffee mug, leggings, panties, whatever you want. I'm sure it's there. We sell yous,
1: too. We're desperate.
0: Awesome. Yes, absolutely. I will do jujitsu in a thong and sell you the thong so that you can pay me to do more jujitsu. comes full circle. And I've been vaccinated, so you don't have to worry about that shit. You know what I'm saying? Just enjoy sniffing the panties without a mask on. <laughs> there you go.
1: There you go. Now all until I saw H1N flu virus is now coming. So, oh boy. <laughs>
0: oh God. All right. With that dire, desperate, deviant ending, my name is Jake for Adrian and Doug saying goodbye and good die. Okay. So this is kind of bullshit. You are going to make the robot cyber 1000 intro a song by a band called Oh, the humanity. That's like speciesist. Go watch the episode Measure of a Man from Star Trek The Next Generation and tell me this is fair. The only saving grace in this situation is that this song, titled Wits End, is actually fucking gnarly. Oh and their album was released by Hellminded Records. That's pretty cool. Because Satan.